Episode 354. They see all these prices when their vehicle says, hey, I'm unhealthy, I'm unhealthy. This broadcast goes out to this network that this car is a part of because the consumer said, yeah, I, I just want my car fixed. And the car goes out, broadcasts it. And then that lowest price, they go, okay, send the car there. And, and uh, it's already happening. But once the cars start communicating a little bit better, uh, is a consumer really going to care? They're going to com- care about convenience. And they're going to care about cost, right? I'd like to say I have the greatest service riders. I'm going to build the greatest service network in the world because I'm selling value. But eventually we've got to admit that, that that's going away. It's changing, right? So what is the data? I mean, I get it. I, I like data, but, but what are we willing to sacrifice for it? What are we willing to get for it? Welcome aftermarketers to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, welcome to episode 354 and part two of the episodic series called Geek Talk 2.0. Carm Capriato here with Remarkable Results Radio. This episode is brought to you by Federal Mogul Motor Parts and Garage Gurus. Now for serious technical training and support online, on-site, and on-demand, Garage Gurus is everything you need to know. Hey, find out more, fmgaragegurus.com. Hey, are you aware that there are over 400 collective episodes between Remarkable Results Radio, the Town Hall Academy, and the new show, For the Record? Well, we bring you the power of the spoken word, and I hear every week from friends of the show that the content is really helping them in their business by listening to their peers tell their stories. These long-form audio interviews are the perfect resource for everything auto care and a treasure trove of ideas, insights, and wisdom. Hey, thanks for being a loyal listener. The network of social followers, likers, and connections builds with the Aftermarket's award-winning podcast. Now, I'm honored to make new Facebook friends like Danny Verslewis, Ian Broadbent, Jude Porter, Justin Canava, and Robert Crawford, and my new Instagram followers, Evan Broadoff and Jay Gonanen. Also, latest LinkedIn connections, William Rowan, Kevin Likas, and Jeff Furrow. Get connected, remarkableresults.biz slash social. So here we are, part two of Geek Talk 2.0. How did we get this episodic series started? Well... In Town Hall Academy on SMS Systems, it was episode 65, we started talking tech. We were on a roll, so right there on the air, we decided to create this episodic series. Here are the facts. Talking geek can be a full-time job in our industry. With tech changing at light speed, we thought it a good idea to talk about it and maybe even debate it. Now, most importantly, our goal will be to inform you of important areas of your business you need to pay attention to. Now, in this episode, meet Greg Buckley, CEO, Buckley's Personalized Auto Care, Wilmington, Delaware, Chris Clodier, Golden Rule Auto Care, Dallas, Texas, and CEO of Autotex.me, Bill Nalu, President of Interstate Auto Care, Madison Heights, Michigan, Kareem Morsel, Winkler Automotive, Gaithersburg, Maryland, and Tracy Martin, author and trainer. Now, find the key talking points, the bios on my guests, and links to their previous episodes at remarkableresults.biz slash E354. Now, in this episode, we talk... Ownership of car-generated data, the influence of the dealer network, the explosive growth of cell networks in cars and trucks, and the fact that new generations have no brand loyalty. We also hit on what are we doing as shop owners to prepare ourselves to survive and thrive if we're not embracing IT. So are you doing enough fleet work? Think about fleet because in the future, you are going to be a rider in a vehicle you may not own. The owner of the vehicle will have it repaired and it's going to be at a preferred fleet repair facility. 
Hmm, interesting. We're going to talk about it. Welcome to part two of Geek Talk 2.0. A warm welcome to Geek Talk 2.0, part two. Hey, guys. Wow. Greg Buckley's here, CEO of Buckley's Personalized Auto Care, Wilmington, Delaware. Hey, Greg. Hey, Carm. How's it going? Chris Glodier, Golden Rule Auto Care and CEO of AutoTex.me. Now a multi-shop owner. Yes, multi. Yeah. Good for you. Bill Nalu, President, Interstate Auto Care, Madison Heights, Michigan. Hello. Kareem Morsell, Winkler Automotive, Gaithersburg, Maryland. Hello. And Tracy Martin, author, trainer, and podcast host. Actually, you're, I'll tell everybody so they know what they were recording this. Tracy's episode, his own one-on-one with me, went out today. Thanks, Trace. Yeah, you're welcome. It was fun. We had a blast. June 26th, 2018, the first Geek Talk 2.0 went out, part one. It was episode 339. And guys, that was great. And I loved it so much. And you guys committed to do a series on this. And and here we are again, because there's so much going on inside the industry with Geek. And we had like 30 talking points. We got to two last time, but it was a great episode. Thank you for that. And I don't know where we go today. Kareem, you got an idea? Yeah, I mean, I was suggesting, I was thinking about it because, uh, you know, I guess it's a luxury sometimes, but you have to take one. I, ha- I was on a vacation and I never put the brain off. So I was thinking about the future, obviously. Best time to do it, right? Looking at the ocean. And I was thinking about the one important thing I think that's looming for all independent shop owners, which is the topic of ownership of car-generated data. And, and I think right now, uh, you know, when you look at what's going on out there and also the requirements, uh, you know, around managing and, and first of all, absorbing and then managing and using that data from cars uh, is, is pretty daunting because first of all, I don't think there is any one infrastructure that exists out there uh, to enable that. And so I wanted to put that on the table because as independent shop owners right now, at least in my area, and I'm sure you guys are seeing it, we're seeing a huge increase in uptake on the dealer sides in terms of you know growing their repairs, you know, service side, adding bays, completely inflating, you know, wages for techs. I mean, I just lost a tech who's got maybe five years of experience and the, and the dealer down the road offered them $29 an hour. You're looking at this and you're wondering, okay, right now we're sitting comfortable. We have this notion out there in the, you know, in the general public's eye that you want great service, go to the independent shops, you know, but we've got to be very careful because things are changing very fast. And this whole data thing, I think is could have a tendency to accelerate because right now, unbeknownst to customers, OEMs are planning huge revenue streams uh, from that data. I mean, it's a data business is 80 to 90% margin business. Uh, You know, they're going to be able to generate billions of dollars on top of sales of cars. I think what they did is they saw what Facebook did. You know, their members actually became a product and, you know, they had all this data to sell. And there's no doubt that the behavior of the vehicle, where it's been, where you know, where it goes, is important. Lots of um, legislation out there about access, use, privacy, ownership of generated data. Nothing is locked down yet. And the worry is that, you know, the autonomous vehicle is going to be the big issue. But the industry and many organizations are pushing that this dialogue or the or a law gets firmed up way sooner than when we get to say level five and i think that's your point and i think it's well taken but you know i guess the twist here guys is that kareem says it's going to benefit the dealer what are we going to do about it 
I think that uh, I think we'll see a caveat to that. Um, recently, oh, about a month ago, I was at the autonomous conference in Delaware, and I, I don't know if I report it back to you guys, but in, in some sense, um, it was fascinating to sit there and watch the construction of regulations and laws that will be uh, brought to life later on down the road. I, I think uh, it finishes up this month, the final drafting, and then it goes before our transportation department, and then it'll be uh, subject to law and regulation. So what was interesting to see is you had two uh, people from two different organizations that were focused and adamant that the independent will be part of the solution, AAA and Uber. And Uber, uh, the young lady who was its representative, sat there, and I have to tell you that she was pretty much the influencer of the language that's going into uh, the, the, the rule book. And I sat there, and I listened, and, and I, you know, I took some pictures, and, and just, you know, whatever I keep my hands on. And I, I think I got a copy of the draft, and I may have sent it. I hope I did. Um, nonetheless, what was fascinating was, here's Uber, and she comes to us, and she goes, we are, we're looking for Uber technologists. And I mentioned this on the last webinar with uh, Donnie Cipher just this afternoon that, you know, Uber is not looking to be part of a dealer network. That case of the Volvo is where the accident was. They removed the Volvo technology to stop the accident, but theirs didn't handle it as well. So I think that with Tesla coming to market, a bunch of other vehicles coming to market, you're not going to have to worry about the dealership. The dealership's going to have to worry about losing volume to independence or, you know, uh, a scattered network. And the manufacturers will want to deal things uh, as easy as possible. The influence of the dealer network, I can't say it's not going to go away because from the local level, they supply a lot of money and they, you know, they're always there and people just flaunt all over dealerships because they got money. But over time, that will erode. And the generation coming up the kids, the, the X, the millennials, whatever you want to call them, especially the Ys, they're not, they're not getting licenses. They don't need a car. They don't need to be uh, beholden to uh, mobility like we were. They, didn't, they don't enjoy it. So that is a whole market, a whole database, a whole market that will not, it'll ignore a dealership's promotions. And, you know, I think what you're going to see is, we're going to, in the last hurrah for dealer volume. You have 17.5 million vehicles that were sold up to this point. And next year, I, that slides already going to start to happen. And once that starts going on, dealers will come back and look for service to fill their base. But the volume of vehicles that's expected in the, in, from other sources of, of vehicle production is going to be tremendous. So you're going to have an increase in vehicles, uh, an increase in where these vehicles are sold, and how they're sold. So I think what we focus on with, you know, I don't care what you call it with geek or whatever, um, we need to be better communicators. Um, we need to focus on how to fix these vehicles. And we have to look at different technologies that we're going to be responsible for. When Uber comes at, clearly, clearly she was asking, I need people to be an Uber technologist. Technologist, not an Uber mechanic, not an Uber technician, a technologist. Because of their software, and this is going to go with, with Waymo, um, Apple, 
all of them. So just think of it. If you put, put four wheels on your device, on your iPhone, put four wheels here. Okay. That's what we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to learn what's this and how it controls its mobility. So, I mean, so, so interesting. That's what Terry and I's episode was about. Uh, it was about, yeah, the smartphone on wheels. Very good. Greg, interesting. I got to ask you about the Uber technology. If I brought my vehicle to Uber and it was a Chevy Cruze, how do they, do they actually put technology on it? Well, yeah, what you see there, I mean, if, it, if it's a truly uh, autonomous vehicle from Uber and Terry, uh, you, you can, you can jump into this, but what she was explaining was, okay, I have an Uber autonomous vehicle, level five, running around the streets of Wilmington, Delaware. All right, uh, where do I go? Well, I'm not going to go back to Pittsburgh for it, right? I'm going to keep it local. Who can service this? I understand. It's, 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 a, it's a level five car that, that the discussion's about. It could be level, level three, level five. If Uber has technology in it and it's mass produced and it's there, then they want to be able to have a, a service element. My opinion, I am HO. <laughs> so, but that's the way that was when she finished discussing everything. I, I felt very strongly that they're looking at a, they're looking for a network. Yeah. Greg, you know what, uh, you, 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 you threw in something just now that made me think about this is if you look at the dealer model, obviously they've got new car sales and they have service on the new car sales side of it, being that it's a merchandise business, I totally see them, their weakness in that. And that is that with Tesla having proven that basically you could sort of go and buy the car like a vending machine. I mean, this week we did a, a used car inspection on a vehicle for Carvana. Customer bought the car. You have 10 days to return the car. The car gets delivered. There's a silo somewhere in Ohio, which is the nearest Carvana uh, vending machine. And the car gets delivered to the customer here locally. We inspected the car. Car looks like it's in pretty good shape. She's got 10 days to return the car. So from a sales side, I totally see the dealerships uh, being uh, vulnerable in this regard. On the, on the service end, it remains to be seen whether they'll continue to be as weak as they've been in the past on the service end. Clearly on the training end, they get, they get dibs Firsthand. from the manufacturer. Sure. But as far as service is concerned, I still maintain there's not a single dealership that beats us uh, in our local market. Well, you know, customer to 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 shop. Mm-hmm. There's nobody in my immediate area that's going to beat us in, in service in terms of what we do when a customer walks in the door. Well, well let me ask you a, a question. Okay, Carvana contacted you, correct? No, no. Uh, Carvana contacted the customer. The customer right, bought it, and the customer brought it to you. Exactly. Okay. So those amount of dollars didn't go to the dealer network. An hour's labor. It went to you. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. it went to you. So you just now profited off of a disrupted network, mm-hmm. right? All right. Yeah. So that's a multiple of thousands and now thousands turned into millions. So yeah. disruption is occurring. And that's where, you know, um, in, in the future, I, I, I'm not afraid of it. There'll be ways that we partner with it to work within it. I'm talking to Bud Houston a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. Do you actually put products in the hands of the technicians? Yes, absolutely. Anytime there's new product introduced, perhaps a new problem solver or a new technology, uh, we keep that stuff on the van just because uh, their local parts supplier may not have it available. And we think it's important to show them what's coming and then 
seeing the part is really, especially with the new OEX, seeing the part and touching the part is something that that changes perspective rather than just a piece of paper with a picture of the part. Okay, so you put an OEX pad into the hand of a technician, and you've done this, I'm sure, hundreds of times. What do you see on their face when they see it? You can you can tell they get it. You know, in, in, in our industry, there's technology that, that we use all the time that you look at and you're like, that just doesn't make sense to me. I'm going to take your word that it works. You put an OEX brake pad in somebody's hand and I just ask the question, why does this look so weird? And they're like, I bet it's to make it cool. They get it as soon as you put it in their hand. So technicians holding your product and listening to your presentation, do you ever see the light bulbs go up? They raise their hand and says, boy, I've got a great idea for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not only does that happen, Every time I'm with a group of guys, I solicit ideas. I'm like, listen, a lot of the stuff that I've shared with you originated in a bay somewhere where the technician said, you know what, if you could do this, it would be really cool. And so the stuff that I get, I send up you know, uh, to our engineering team and say, hey, could we do something like this? And there's things in, in the works and there's some things that came out recently that, that originated in, hey, if you could do this, it would be helpful because at the end of the day, you know, I think Federal Mogul is known in, in every line to be a problem solver and not just solving a problem, but making an installation easier as well. Federal Mogul Motor Parks' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On site, online, or on demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit fmgarageguru.com. At the top of the show, uh, Kareem brought up uh, about data and where it's going and what are we doing with it. And one of the thoughts that I had, team, panel, was the telematic connected vehicles and so many of the dongles that are being added to cars that are giving data back to people that may not necessarily know what to do with it. I wanted to add some a little piece of data because I, I was in my readings between coronas. I came up with some interesting information. Here it is. In 2017... More new cars were added to the cellular networks in the U.S. than new cell phones. Mm. AT&T has, been, has added 1 million new cars to its network each quarter for the last 11 quarters. Mm. So now, these are cars, you know, whether it's the OnStar system or Subaru has its own or whatever it is, that is telematics. That is the connectivity that new car buyers are leaving the dealer lot with Granted, you know, it's the complimentary one year, six months, whatever it is, right? And it remains to be seen whether people renew it. But here's the other catch on this, this data set. Of the consumers that have the new cars, only 38% of connected car drivers knew their cars could store personal data. And more importantly, you know, OEMs by 2020, with all that data they're collecting, right, plan on making over... I think it was over $1 billion collectively just in one, that first year. So what I'm getting at is data is a lot of things. In these cars, they can provide location data. So that, that data can be provided to merchants for proximity. You know, like, hey, this guy's going by and we know they have an interest because on their Facebook, they like, you know, to buy boots and we're a boot store so we can flash them something as they're coming down the street, whatever. But then there's also our subset, which is, on the preventive maintenance side, on the diagnostic side. Right now, and Greg, I'll, I'll, re- I'll defer to you because you seem to be really in, in those circles. Uh, you know, what, 
are there any discussions or even you know mechanisms in place whereby you know a customer comes out of the dealer lot right now and a new car obviously they're going to have the warranty but as that warranty wears out are they going to have the option to opt into a different network where their data can go in my network maybe or as independent shops and right now they don't exist but would there be data aggregators out there that collect that data on behalf of the customers, protect it? Because trust is huge in this case. Customers will not share the data unless it's safe. And then we as independents buy in the right to that network to collect the data from our customer. So these are the kind of things I'm trying to envision because that's why we shape the future as an industry of aftermarket. Well, what, what I experienced and what I heard at the, uh, at the conference there, um, was the states are concerned with loss of revenue, tax dollars. And they're looking at making sure that they are part of the uh, the transactions that are going to be produ- produced uh, within the car. Like, okay, so if you buy, if you're in an autonomous level, let's say you're level five, and you want to pack a gum, you hit uh, Amazon and you buy gum. Well, that transaction is going to be recorded. The state wants a piece of that to make up for the road tax. So there's a lot of things like that. As far as network, yeah, yeah, you, you can hold your head, but that's that's the truth um, because they're looking at ways to to monetize. Yeah, but Greg, aren't they going to get a piece of the action because Amazon collects the sales tax for that state anyway? We don't have a sales tax in Delaware. So we're, we're definite. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're a different beast. So, you know, without road tax, um, there's going to be mechanisms in place to uh, take away, take a portion of the sales. Um, and, and there's a mul- there was a, a multitude of ways that they can extract a, a dollar value for the rights for this car. The, the, the trade-off is this, is that autonomy, autonomous vehicles will escalate the traffic because in Delaware, 20 to 25% of our capable drivers or motorists are not getting out of the house for either physical situations, um, uh, age-related situations. So now they have an influx of traffic, right? But there's no road. There's, they're not buying fuel, um, but they're, they're going to different places. That, you know, say uh, the 80, 85 or the 89-year-old person can now safely go to uh, the local convenience store or go to the movies. Uh, they're not locked in their house. So a lot of these things, the state is saying, well, how do I monetize this? Because they're not going to buy the fuel. Uh, they're not paying the insurance. They're just going out and, and someone's catering to them. But miles driven is going to go up. There is going to be fuel. Not miles. We, yeah, cumulative miles driven, but per unit. We don't know. No, what not per, right. To me, it seems like a great op- revenue opportunity if people start doing more. And, you know, they buy tickets for shows and they, they I, I see it as o- almost a win-win. If there's no sales tax in Delaware, obviously they have an issue. And, and they're, they're, you know, everybody's got to have their hand in some somebody's pocket. But to Karim's point about uh, being part of that network, um, I don't think there's anything specifically written that takes us out of the dealer network. Well, I mean, dealer network versus independent. It was all to be part of one. We weren't going to be regulated out of it. We were going to be, it was mandated that we are part of it. Now, how that gets segmented, I don't know. I mean, Let's do your maps, okay? So you're taking a map, and a freeway or or Route A is uh, tolls, and then Route B is uh, no tolls. 
A, get you there faster, B, is slower, and there's an alternative C for scenery. Which one do you want to take? You pick one, and then, then comes your direction. So, you know, will, will that be a menu selection when you purchase a vehicle? You know, believe me, there's a lot of question marks that go on. Our participation, I don't, I don't think we're going to have a problem, but who's to say? Kareem brings up such a great point, though, and that is that if I end up owning my data as, as the car owner, can I aggregate it out to someone who's willing to pay me for my data? I mean, I think that was your, your thinking, right? I think that's the thinking in the entire industry. So if the owner gets their data, what happens next? Okay, so the question is, who's the owner? What if you're leasing the vehicle? Or, or better yet, what if you're renting the vehicle? Who is the owner now? Not you. Here's the other part of this. So is, own, is renting a car from Avis or Enterprise the same thing as renting a hotel room? And if that's the case, why can't the hotel room say, we're going to throw yeah. Alexa in this thing. And, and when you, we're going to, it's our, you're renting our hotel room. Therefore, we have the right to collect this data. And because we want to know whether you choose pizza over burgers and where you want to go. And because we're going to make recommendations on that. I'm starting a hotel next week and I'm putting Alexa's in all the rooms because they absolutely have the right to do that. Right. I mean, so, so let's look at this. How many people turn on uh, their location finder and use Google maps or ways? Yeah. We're giving away that data freely, right. To find a better path to get to where you're going. So consumers, depending on what they get in return, they are very, very willing to give away that data for, right. for, for little monetary value. But what they see as I get to avoid traffic for a couple hours right. or, or 30 minutes of traffic, I'm willing to monetize it all. So depending on what data you're looking for, I would even say yeah. this, go further, right? With, with the, the, the repairs on vehicles, let's call it the future. And let's say we have a company out there called Bay Open. Okay, and Bay Open <laughs> goes to a bunch of shops and it says you can bid on the job, right? <laughs> now, we like to say that consumers like our shops because we are great at customer service. But we see more and more re- removed that by Google reviews and other things that people are coming in our shops. So consumers, because they've never talked to Kareem's great service manager at the front, they see all these prices when their vehicle says, hey, I'm unhealthy, I'm unhealthy, this broadcast goes out to this network that this car is a part of because the consumer said, yeah, I I just want my car fixed. And the car goes out, broadcasts it. And then that lowest price, they go, okay, send the car there. And and, uh, it's already happening. But once the cars start communicating a little bit better, uh, is a consumer really going to care? They're going to care about convenience and they're going to care about cost, right? I'd like to say I have the greatest service riders. I'm going to build the greatest service network in the world because I'm selling value. But eventually, we've got to admit that, that that's going away. It's changing, right? So what is the data? I mean, I get it. I, I like data. But, but what are we willing to sacrifice for it? What are we willing to get for it? And as a right. consumer, if Amazon's going to profile me like they do 100% whenever I search on this one product, and they give me 10 more products that are absolutely in line with one I want to buy, am I okay with that? I, I personally am, right? That's just getting to my, my, what I need to buy that much quicker. I think consumers are going to be a little more discerning than buying a product on Amazon. I mean, on Amazon, you're going to look at, uh, you're buying a wireless router and there's a couple different brands and maybe there's 50 people selling all of them and you pick the cheapest one. But, you know, your car broadcasts a DTC, it goes out on a network and all these 
independent shops that are signed up to this thing bid on it, I think consumers aren't going to necessarily take the lowest bidder. I think a lot of them with experience have done that and they get a bad repair, the wrong repair, a bad diagnosis, whatever. And they go, you know, the guy down the street who's, you know, 20 bucks cheaper, he's always never done it right. I go to the guy that's, you know, 50 bucks more or whatever. And I think that they're going to make that choice to go to the good shops just like they do now. I mean, you're not put well, out of business yeah. as somebody would, down the street I wanna, $20 yeah. less in labor. I would agree with 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 uh, us. I guess with the generations coming up, right, where is the brand? There is no brand loyalty with generations coming up. I mean, it, it's going away, right? So just like we said, cars, they're, they're not going to care, right? They're going to care to get to point A to point B. But I just see less and less, you know, and maybe there is some so, brand loyalty. In, so, so. I want to add, because I I think what you're saying, Chris, and what you're saying, Tracy, is not mutually exclusive. And here's what I mean. Uh, You know, cars are getting so complex that people know that if something goes wrong and you have, you know, you're going to have to address it at the IT level, first and foremost. We also have a shortage in this society of IT professionals. There are just not enough people who know how to program. So when somebody buys a car that is full of IT and you tell them that this car needs to be reflashed or reprogrammed, it's going to go tilt on their head and they're going to go, I better go to a place they know what they're talking about. And that's where Tracy's you know, point comes into effect, I think, because, and that's where I'm coming back to this whole series of geek talk is, you know, what are we doing as shops, as independents to get ready for that age? Because that is going to become more and more the separation between the shops that can survive and thrive and the shops that are going to disappear, in my opinion, if you don't pick up IT. Kareem, if there's a bid sitting in front of me and it's for $495 and I have no interaction with the individual, knowing their background, knowing it has to be flashed, none of it. A DTC code goes out. There's some kind of AI that figures out you know, your menu pricing. It drives a price out there and someone picks it. How are they going to get that warm feeling? And that's a question for you, but there's one other thought that I had here in, as I was thinking and and listening to you guys, you know, dealerships have people that sit in an open, uh, you know, with, with their laptops up. And when someone gets onto their website and looks for a vehicle, they're looking to, you know, talk to me, have an interaction and, and help them maybe possibly pick, pick a vehicle. I can imagine that your places are going to have to have like an internet bid person, you know, as, as these, these interactions start coming up and those companies start asking you for bids and it's a live opportunity, you may, you may be a, you know, talk now, communicate now and, and try not only to steal the deal, but to, to really work with the consumer in a little deeper way than just, you know, it's a code and I know how to fix it. So two major things have happened in the tire industry. I, I don't do rubber at my shop, but I, I pay attention to it. So Sears signed a deal with Amazon a uh, little while back, right, to distribute tires directly through. And Monroe just signed up with them, too, for that distribution network, right? So I, I know, I, going to Tracy, I agree, a DDC code is not the same as, as a tire, but, you know, there are lots of different types of tires and there's different sizes. And, and so once you start with tires... Why doesn't it go to the next thing? Why won't it go to the next thing? And are we not paying attention? I agree with you, Carm, that maybe we do need to start looking at some of these other services that we don't necessarily like because if everybody else is going to go to it, are we going to be left behind again? And we're going to be like, oh man, we, we should be, we should have had that guy on eBay 
you know, bidding out and pricing out that job or, or Amazon pricing out that job. I don't want to go there. I like the way the model is now, but it seems to be shifting if we start looking at the landscape of other products in the industry. Let me, let me just throw something at you guys, okay? So name all of the people who are right now trying to take advantage of your data and what they're giving you in return. You've got uh, my bay door. I'll say my bay door um, instead of uh, <laughs> the other one. Okay, we've got my car, my car pal. <laughs> all right, instead of the other one. Uh, we'll even bring in um, the fox. Um, and we'll bring in all the other parties and disease. The Z, right, exactly. You meant the dog, right? The, Not the, the fox. The, you mean fo- the, the dog. The dog. Right? Yeah, the the one with the FOX on its chest, right? <laughs> right. All right. So, so when you think about what's ha- when uh, you look at autonomous and what's going on, my belief is, and, and again, it's my belief that they are setting themselves up to be the owner of the vehicle. If they came to any one of you and, and or us or our clients and said, you know what, why do you even care about that DTC? I'll, I'll supply you another one. I'll take care of this. You rented the contract from me. You know, it becomes a retail situation. You you send in one pair of shoes and you get another so you can walk around. So I think what we're going to see is these are going to become fleet owners and they'll go and we'll be we'll be more like a B2B situation than B2C. And that's where I believe that I'm tr- I'm looking at the, I'm 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 going out there. But with where I'm trying to position myself now, get involved with fleets, not because I want to work on heavy duty trucks, but it's because I want to get my, I want to reignite my format where I was with fleets, the tools, Chris, you've got tools that are dynamite in helping out, keeping the, the, the fluidness of a fleet managed correctly. There's also other vendors and suppliers, but when you start to look at what's coming ahead of us, it's that. They've got the technology. They got all they got to do is put an incentive. They need a call to action. They say, you know what? You know, I'm going to give you, Mrs. Smith, uh, free wheels. All right. You don't worry about nothing. Car breaks down. Don't, why you care? Why, why even looking? I'm going to call it up. I'm going to bring it to, I'm going to bring it to my certified place. It could be a mile from you. It could be 10 miles from you. Why do you care? You're under the wheels. So when you start to look at it, I think the subscription model is interesting. That's already out there for the higher euros. It's going to be the benchmark will be at what price point does a, an affluent individual uh, say enough's enough? Is it 1500 a month where I don't pay no gas, no fuel, no something? You know, it, it doesn't matter. I think as, as a shop owner, we should concern ourselves with not who is driving the car, but what's the car's purpose and take the emotion out because we don't need to worry about customer care. Like, okay, does grandma have to get to the grocery store? It's when does this car have to be on the road and how many miles per year is it driving or is it on the road? And what am I dealing with, with the, the per, with the company, the entity that owns it? So it's a little bit different, but I think we're, we're going to be looking at a transportation model similar to if we all work for or work with our local governments. What you're really saying, Greg, is that I'm, I, will, I will have a vehicle, it, I will not own it, and my relationship with you is really not the same as it is today. It will be with the company that I do business with. Yeah, and it might, it might be a totally blind situation. You're going to, you're going to be a rider. You're going to be a rider in the, in the vehicle uh, as a passenger. You know, uh, multi, multimodal transportation options 
are wonderful. Well, I, you know, we've all experienced it. I agree with that. I, I do. I, I, but I, that's, I mean, you're way out in the future. I think that if you look at, you look at Uber. So I, I travel when I travel, I Uber. And, and if you yeah. look at Uber, not from the technology standpoint, from, but from the entrepreneur standpoint. So you got a lot of people in their cars that are able to make money when they're not at their job or it is their primary job. But typically it's somebody who's off on the weekend and like, Hey, I'm going to pick up, you know, 40, $50 here, 40, $50 there. Right. So that's another way for uh, uh, somebody to generate income. And now we look at driverless cars, right? What is the other proposition they're putting out is once you get a autonomous vehicle and you're only driving at three to 5% of the year, why can't that do exactly what Uber's doing? So if I can buy a $30,000 car and I can recoup several thousand dollars a year by while I'm parked, it's going out and picking up other people. That's a, that's a revenue generator for me. So right? I started in Michigan, right in Bill's backyard. The program uh, GM has just partnered with Maven with another company that's doing exactly that. You're time sharing your vehicle, and it's kind of like a, a, a hyper zip car. And you know that but I model, still own it, right? I still want to own. I think there's a lot of people that still are going to buy a car for a while. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. And they're going to no use question. them to generate that revenue. So that far, far future where we stop buying our cars. I mean, that's a, that's a far. I think a way out. I've so loved this. In fact, I think Greg and guys, we're going to look back at this episode in in three or four years, and we're probably going to be able to see the inklings of, you know, as the future starts to crystallize, you know, up here three or four or five years ahead. Good discussion. Great challenge to the thinking in our industry. Now, let me go back to this dongle, which is bothering the hell out of me. There's a TV commercial on for one hour on why you got to have this thing and, and why it's got to tell you what's wrong with the car and how you won't get ripped off. Is this affecting you in any way? Because this is geek stuff. Tried it twice in my shop. Two times I've tried to bring in the chip enabled dongle and then you have the Bluetooth enabled. So there's a couple of vendors out there, but that's the two different main ways you connect. The problem with the Bluetooth, so you put the dongle in, the Bluetooth communicates with the consumer's app and then the app communicates with the cloud. Well, the problem with that is what if you're not the one driving the car. <laughs> what, what if the one driving the car has the app and, and, and the daughter drives it or the mom drives it and it's the dad who has the app on its phone, right? You don't have that connectivity. You've lost that connectivity, right? So you have to have the app. The other one is the chip, right? You're putting actually, they have cell chips directly into the actual OBD2 device. And then that's a direct connection to your cloud, to your cell network, which what's the manufacturers, what Kareem was talking about the manufacturers doing. Of course, then you get into a lot of geek things like what in that OBD2 port is opened up, right? Now you open up your, potentially your consumer to, you know, uh, threats, depending on the manufacturer you're making model, what they've exposed over that port and what they've exposed behind in, in the PCM or ECM. Um, I've had, I've tried both because I thought, man, this is the greatest way to connect to a customer because it is. I do a lot of diagnostic at my shop. I'm going to put in a device. And guess what? When you leave my shop, after you drive 50, 100 miles and those monitors reset, I'll know whether or not that light came back on. If it came back on, is it for the same problem? Is it for a different problem? I'll be right on top of it. But I successfully did not find a device that would work on all the cars and successfully worked well enough. And then, you know, the interfaces were, yeah, you know, lackluster, like Kareem's saying, 
you, you need some good UI or, or some sort of aggregation of data, you know, because then you're going to have 15 different devices and 15 different cars. So there's a lot of different problems. But the two experiences I've had have not been very successful experiences. That's, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to try. It's just been a very frustrating experience. If you want a good barometer of the attitude of using a device like that, no kidding, you can go to my YouTube channel. This isn't a plug. Go to the YouTube channel and type it or search uh, Verizon Hum and look at that video. It's over probably 27,000 views, but the opinions, oh my God, I either get loved or I get skewered. Most of the time I'm getting skewered for the information and people say, no, you're just trying to, you're just trying to rip me off by telling me that you're the one that's got to tell me the information and they're defending uh, their use of it. They're calling me every name in a book. Uh, and then some people come up with live examples of, uh, hey, you know what? I did plug this in and it really did screw up my car. I had to verify. So it's a good barometer. It really is. And I left it up, even though you see some of this stuff come across you, you go, man, I can't, I don't want it. This is so much negative stuff. But, you know, it's, it's good to see. It, you know, I want to add to, to what Craig just said uh, regarding this, you know, not sharing their data or not wanting to have that privacy, you know, uh, infringed upon. I also found an interesting uh, uh, piece of uh, data. It was a big study done by McKinsey uh, Consulting. 3,000 people, consumers were asked, are you okay sharing with their, your data? 55% of them said yes. And if you added the, uh, the stipulation that your data would be secure and safe and not shared, then that jumped to 75%. And then they said along generational, generational lines, almost 100% of the newer generation, the growing generation, the millennials and, and younger, are completely okay sharing their data for free. Do you think it'd be interesting if Google and Waze came out and told everybody, hey, guess what? We're using your data and you're selling your data. Do you think there would be backlash? Absolutely. None. But I guarantee you most people who are using Google and Waze don't think about that's their no. data. I, I no. guarantee they are not. And so same thing with Facebook. Yeah, th- this guy was taking, he was churning it, and he was doing all this stuff with it. But it wasn't until the media got a hold of it and said, this is bad, this is evil, yeah. that everybody yeah. goes, oh my God, this is bad and evil, even though I'm sure they were getting some benefit. Maybe they weren't getting no benefit of it, but I'm just, I'm assuming that once again, if you use the, the, the example of Google and Waze, most people say, yeah. I love it. It's great. Well, do you realize that uh, they're taking it's funny. your data? Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's a context thing, right? Because Facebook got caught doing that, you know, in a bad story. You know, it just right. obviously tasted so sour. Until it happens to the Googles and the Wazes of the world, it's going to be all right. People are so, not going to so say anything. I'll, I'll go back to, to car repair, right? Once again, if, if I'm average Joe consumer, I don't know anything about my car. I know. Once again, I agree with you, Tracy. Look, I want people, I want my job done right, but I'm going to be the first to say that, yes, I've hired my best friend to do a plumbing job that he wasn't totally certified to do. Right. And he's like, Oh dude, I got it. And he's all over a beer where I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to cost me a lot more money to fix it. Right. But I went for the cheap way. And I'm saying as a consumer, am I going to care once again, if, if I get this new car, and it broadcasts, and, and everybody's telling me, man, it can broadcast out the repair. It can broadcast out, and it's going to give me three or four different people. So I don't have to go online and look at the Google reviews. I don't have to go online. It's going to give me three or four different shops that are going to give me the ability to fix my car. Am I going to really care? They're, what time can they fix it? Can they have back by three? You know, is the price reasonable? Maybe it's not the cheapest, but it's $10 difference than the other one, right? I'm going to be willing to share that data with everybody, yeah. Right. I, I'm I, because of the convenience of me fixing my car. I think from a consumer based standpoint, 
yeah, it, it, that benefit's going to be big, even though there's going to be a Facebook story or some news story about how that was evil. And But it's complicated today, guys. You'll be the first ones to admit if if it's coming in for this, it may have to have that. Yeah, I mean, it, I it's sort of going to work backwards. I mean, yeah, if if I'm a consumer, I don't know anything about my car, and I'm given all these choices, I'll pick one that's maybe the cheapest one. And when I get bit because the guy didn't do it right, then the next time there's something wrong with my car, I'm going to look at those choices and think about it in a little different way. And now I'm right back to, well, who can I trust? Because I've got three bids. This one guy I went to, I know I'm not going there. I'm going to try one of these other two. Or I've used somebody else. They did it right, worked great. I'll use them again. So it, it's still going to come down to your reputation and your ability to deliver what that bid represents. And people that live in an, in an, you know, they're driving in a local area, they're going to know that, okay, these guys are okay and these guys aren't okay and they're all bidding. So which one am I going to take? These data, these data aggregators are in the free water business. They provide this nice little can. They say, look, we'll give you the water for free. And so if as long as we recycle the can, you're not going to be mad at us. Don't ask us what we're doing with the swab of your DNA sample and who we're selling it to, though. I wouldn't know if I even take free water from Michigan right now. That's right. Hey, we got the best water. <laughs> I'm waiting for tires to uh, somebody that sells tires to pay me to put them on the car just so they can change my oil. That's yeah. coming sooner or later. Right. But uh, we've changed the world. And, and I agree, Tracy, once again. But let's look at the way that Google and Yelp have changed the world, right? No longer is it Greg, my neighbor, telling me, or Kareem, my neighbor, telling me, go to the shop because it's really good. It's, and, and these are Greg I go to church with, Kareem I go to the bar with, and we watch soccer, right? Because that's what we would do. It's now some random person who writes a review that says, hey, it's great, which is maybe true. It may not, but I have no relationship other than I'm a human being and they're a human being in the area, right? And I, look, I most of my reviews or most of my, uh, my, my referrals come in from online. That's one of my highest referral things, right? And these are random people telling other random people about how great my service is. So I still think you're absolutely you're right. Your reputation is going to kind of have some sort of play in there. But that's totally changed our business in the last five, 10 years dramatically, right? So why would we not get to what is it going to be? Are these aggregators like, you know, the one I mentioned earlier, are they going to get into reviews? And guess what? They're getting into reviews, right? They like to have the reviews for the shop owners so you don't have to go to Google or Yelp. They're trying to create kind of this closed loop circle, um, you know, for the shop. So I, I just think it's interesting in watching, you know, once again, data. Whose data is it? From a consumer standpoint, it's complicated. If I'm going to get something for it in return, do I really care, depending on what I get in return, what that data's worth. You know, it's just too bad that that connected device with the cell chip in it, Chris, uh, really didn't take off because if you were looking for co consumer customer intimacy, to me, that's it. Hey, there's a battery code, there's a DTC, you know, all of those features that came along with that thing, you know, the GPS tracking for for, for son, for daughter, for, for older parent. Um, you know, I really was into this thing about five, six years ago, and, and I saw it as one of the most important intimacy builders inside the industry, and I just wonder why it didn't 
take off. And now these aggregators, if you will, are interrupting that, the, the interrupters, and saying, listen, you may not be a great enough marketer, so I'm going to interrupt that stream of data, and I'm going to promote your company and put you up on a list of price points where you didn't have to worry about that if your if your customer was connected with you they you sent them an email and says hey listen i don't like what's going on with your with your um, your battery voltage uh, come in and let us let us do a real real test on this wow how do you get that otherwise i do have a theory why it didn't take off carm i think it's just a timing issue uh, and here's what i mean by that when it came out when this this technology started hitting the markets a few years back if you look at who was buying cars back then it wasn't the millennials yet. It was still the older generation who felt that data was theirs to keep and the privacy issue was first and foremost still. You fast forward to where we are today, that telematics, you know, that right now the format is, you know, that little thing that you plug into the OBD2 port. But now car manufacturing, you know, car manufacturers are building it into their cars and, and it's there. And now you've got the newer generation who's totally open to sharing that data that are buying these cars. So I think it is, it has taken off. It's just that now we as independents, it was great when, when it was just that OBD2 dongle that you could just plug in and get that data. Now we still, that data is still out there. It's still going back to the dealers or to the car manufacturers. We as independents need to find a way to get into that data because we can still build that relationship with the customers if we have access to that data. It's there. It's there in the newer cars. Any car that's 2015, 16 onwards is doing that telematics built in. Greg, back in the day when Napa had their device, were you uh, playing with that at all? Yeah, you know, each person on the council, there was a, eight of us, I think, that were given five units apiece. And it was very cumbersome. It did not go well. And, um, you know, the developer of that really couldn't produce... We had him and his team at uh, three meetings, and he could produce commercial B2B uh, facts and figures, but he could not do anything with B2C because he didn't penetrate the market. And it kind of, it was bulky. It was too big. And the thing was is that the interface um, and the UI and all that was actually not bad, not bad at all. The problem was is that you... Who was paying for it? You know, we were going to have to subsidize the car owner in order for us to get that data. And then the the size of this unit was like this, and you would always hit your knee. It wouldn't work on BMWs because of the configuration down on the side. Um, there was just a lot of little things that just, you know, unfortunately didn't play out well. And then, of course, technology surpassed it. And it was it was something that we felt kind of bad about it, but at the same time, it was just too difficult. Too difficult. You're right. I think Kareem hit it on the nose. You know, do you do you give it to your customer? Are they going to pay the monthly fee? Do I pay the monthly fee? Yeah. Do they buy it from me? How many do I have to buy from my supplier? And and how about the UI? And is my customer ready to? sign on and create an account and it yeah you know today it's yeah it's so much it's it's seamless today almost with the bluetooth technology but i but i think these retail type units are missing the mark and i think they're almost creating the confusion of how easy automotive technology repair is yeah they are they're 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 a detriment to our profession uh they're yeah. not really they're not doing what consumers think they do they're not a mechanic in a can or a technician in a can they're not giving you the answers yet 
strong marketing and desperation uh, drives uh, situations like that. You know, most of the people who are looking for those solutions are the ones that can't afford to repair to begin with. And, right, right. you know, that is something that you won't overcome. I mean, it's clearly. It's our, you know, Greg, it's, it's our generations of motor honey, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Right? Absolutely. I would add something else, too, because it's just a lot of people that don't understand that. They, you know, people forget this OBD2 thing was initially just for emissions. Yeah. It doesn't give you anything else beyond that. So that's the only standard that you have going for it, which is applied very well across the board for all manufacturers. But then we just don't have anything that's, you know, manufacturer specific. So it's, it's really falling short in a way. Wow. You know, it's our part two geek talk 2.0 part two. And you guys, once again, teed it up and knocked it out of the ballpark. And uh, when I go back and think about all the stuff we talked about, uh, I really think we changed the world here, guys. Uh, <laughs> oof, are you kidding me? I don't know. Man. <laughs> you know, since France won the world cup, shouldn't it be part two? Part two. Part two. Oh, part two. Part two. Ah, very good. Hey, thank you to Greg Buckley from Buckley's Personalized Auto Care, Wilmington, Delaware. Chris Clodier from Golden Rule now with two shops in Dallas, Texas, and CEO of Autotex.me. Bill Nalu, president of Interstate Auto Care, Madison Heights, Michigan. Kareem Morsel, Winkler Automotive, Gaithersburg, Maryland. Thanks for starting us out today. And Tracy Martin, author and trainer. Good banter, guys. Uh, will you come back for part three? Sure. Yeah. Cool. Have a Absolutely. great weekend. Bye. Later. Hey, thanks, guys. Greg Buckley, CEO, Buckley's Personalized Auto Care, Wilmington, Delaware. Chris Clodier from Golden Rule Auto Care in Dallas, Texas, and CEO of Autotex.me. Also, Bill Naley, President, Interstate Auto Care, Madison Heights, Michigan. Kareem Morsel from Winkler Automotive, Gaithersburg, Maryland. And Tracy Martin, author and trainer. Great job, guys. Well done. And I'm looking forward to our next episode. Now, find the key talking points, bios, and links to my guests' previous episodes at remarkableresults.biz E354. You can find series of interviews and roundtables with technicians and educators and audio resources for the forever student on the show notes sidebar on the website. Spend some time and see the mountain of content that will upgrade you to the next level of your life and career. Hey, I'd love to hear from you. Email me, carm at remarkableresults.biz, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 